morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you all. If you're watching online, great to have you worship with us uh, via live stream as well. Uh, if you um, have a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 1 at verse uh, 67. We are in a series of, of sermons uh, for the Advent season entitled The Songs of Advent. And as I mentioned last week, the first few chapters of the book of Luke often read like a musical where God encounters someone in grace and their response is just song. They can't help but just sing. And we saw last week with Mary that Mary sings after being encountered by God. We're going to see today the song of Zechariah as he's encountered by God. He sings. Next week we'll look at the angels sing and then we'll focus on Simeon singing as well. Uh, But today we're going to focus on this wonderful song which comes out of an experience of waiting, experience of waiting. Uh, It's Zechariah's song. And so Zechariah's uh, song begins in verse 67 in chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. You can follow along on the screen as well. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then it says, and the child grew, speaking of John the Baptist, and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. What I want to do in the sermon is, uh, what we read here is the end of Zechariah's story, and I want, I want to focus on the end for a moment, what I just read, and just like some movies start at the end, and then they take you back to the beginning to give you some context, and then take you back to the song to help you understand it better, that's what I want to do. I, want to, I just gave you the end here, now I want to preach the beginning, and then I'm going to take you back to the end. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love your grace that comes to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts that we would receive your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Today's song of Zechariah is really a song that comes out of waiting. And I want to begin my message by asking, how well do you wait? How well, do you wait? Is, is, is waiting a strong suit in your life? Are you, are you good at it? Do you, do you just love a long wait? Or do you struggle with waiting? As I thought about Advent on this second week, I thought we should have a kind of 
examination of our waiting, examination of our patience, a, a waiting test to see how well we wait in the most difficult of circumstances. And so I want to give you three scenarios. And as I give you these scenarios, I want you to locate your response and let God do business with your heart in this moment, okay? I want to give you three scenarios. The first scenario is this. You are in traffic in Manhattan. How often do you use your horn? Uh, the first option is, is rarely, if ever, I'm glad to practice silence and stillness. The second option is, uh, as needed, at least once a day. Or maybe, like me, thirdly, it's the most used part of my car. Okay. How are we doing here? The second um, test here or scenario is you are at the supermarket and while waiting in a 10 item or less express checkout lane, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you A, uh, meditate quietly or visualize world peace? Do you count to see if anyone has more than 10 items in their cards? I see some of you counting. I got 14. What are you doing here? Or three, do you threaten anyone who looks as if they're going to use coupons uh, in the express lane? Yeah, yeah, we're struggling, aren't we? We're struggling. The third scenario is you're sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office for an hour. How do you respond? Do you, A, you're just grateful for the chance to catch up on the 2009 edition of National Geographic? They always have those old magazines there. Two, you tell other patients that you have a highly contagious and fatal disease in an attempt to empty the waiting room. Or three, you force yourself to hyperventilate to get immediate attention. How are we doing here? Not well, I imagine. We always do all that we can to avoid waiting. In an instant society where we can get things very quickly, where you can order something on Amazon and get it an hour later, we have a hard time waiting. And yet, as Simone Weil, the French writer, said, waiting patiently is the foundation of the spiritual life. Waiting patiently is the foundation of the spiritual life. And this morning we encounter a man and we encounter his wife that have been waiting for a long time for something to happen. The song of Zechariah actually sounds like Mary's song, the song we looked at last week. There are similar themes, there are similar words, there are similar rhymes, there are, I imagine, similar uh, flows of cadence, but Zechariah's song flows from a different place. When Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, she has her entire future ahead of her. She's probably 14, 15 years old. She has a future ahead of her. But when Zechariah is visited by the same angel, he doesn't seem to have many years ahead of him. Mary has her entire life before her. Zechariah does not have much of life before him. And yet God comes to both of them. And it's important to remember that in this season of Advent, that God visits the teenager and the senior citizen. God visits the young. God visits the old. In other words, God does not discriminate. And if you're still breathing, God can come to you. God comes to Mary who in her youth, and he comes to Zechariah in his age, and, and God comes to us. And that's the important truth of Advent. And no matter who you are, how young you are, how old you are, you can be visited by God. 
In our text, Zechariah has been waiting a long time to be visited by God. And it seems as if he's been waiting his entire lifetime because he has. And it seems as if the Bible is filled with people who have been waiting their entire life for something to happen. This story in Luke chapter 1 is similar to the story we find in Genesis chapter 12. It's a story that comes up repeatedly. Where in Genesis 12, Abraham and Sarah are having a hard time conceiving and having a child. In the beginning of the New Testament, we find the same scenario. Different names, but a similar problem. And we might have different names in this room, but we all come across similar problems. That to be human means that we are going to share in suffering and have similarities of struggles. This is what we find with Abraham and Sarah and with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a man who the world from the outside seems like a good man. He, he's a guy who's obedient to God, who, who has a wife who's obedient to God. And when Luke uh, talks about their biography, when he talks about their resume, when he talks about their pedigree and their history and their connections, he seems to set them up as if they're all that in a bag of chips. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, uh, Luke says, this is, this is who Zechariah is. It says, in the time of King Herod, the, ki the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Luke begins by capturing their story, capturing their connections, capturing their religious power, their religious lineage, their connections. They are they're righteous. They obey God's laws, obey God's decrees. And so when, when, when Luke sets them up in this way, you would think that they had a big family, a family that probably looks something like this here, that this looks like Zechariah and Elizabeth's family. They got connections, they have history, they are righteous, they are obedient to God, they pray a lot. Surely, this is what their family must look like. But then Luke gets to the next verse and shocks the people who are reading. Because instead of them having this massive family, Luke writes these words, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. How could it be that this couple who is righteous, this couple that's obedient, this couple that goes to church all the time, how is it that they can do all those things and not receive what they long for? And this is the tragedy and the, the, the complexity of human existence. What happens when you do all the right things and it seems that you're getting all the wrong answers? What happens when you pray all the prayers and it doesn't seem as if God is going to answer you one bit? This is the, the complexity and the suffering that Zechariah and Elizabeth are experiencing. And what makes this most challenging is the irony of names. The name Zechariah means he whom the Lord remembers. And there's irony in this moment. What happens when your name means the Lord remembers, but you feel like the Lord forgot you? What happens when your name doesn't correspond with your life experience? What happens when your identity doesn't match up with your lifestyle? I imagine from time to time we all have names and our names often don't match our experience, don't match our names. My name is Richard. Uh, it means strong leader. And from time to time, I look at myself in the mirror, and I see a weak follower. 
What happens when your name doesn't match your experience? This is what we find with Zechariah. And so one day, Zechariah, his name means the Lord remembers, but it feels as if the Lord has forgotten him. He doesn't have any children. He is experiencing, I imagine, much shame and ridicule. When he goes to stop and shop here on Grand Avenue, there are lots of other families with strollers and such going shopping. But when Zechariah and Elizabeth go shopping at stop and shop, there's no child to put in the cart. Everyone else seems to have birthday parties for their children. But with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, nothing is coming their way. What happens when they're experiencing social shame? Experiencing lots of ridicule from their friends, lots of doubts about their spiritual life. In that context, to, to have many children meant that you were blessed by God. To not have any children meant that God's disfavor was upon you. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth hold on to this reality. Hold on to this tension. Believing maybe God can intervene one last time and Zechariah gets the experience of a lifetime, the opportunity of a lifetime. That one day, many priests would be gathering by the temple to perform temple duties. And in this context, there would be a limited amount of priests who would be invited to offer sacrifices and do temple duties in the most holy place. And they would find out who the priest would be by casting lots. And in our society, it would be like a, a, a raffle. You, everyone, every priest would have a raffle ticket. And they'd walk in and they'd get their raffle ticket with their number. And they were waiting for the person to call the number on the raffle ticket. And the person whose, whose number matched that, 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 that uh, the ticket matched the number would go into the temple and offer temple sacrifices. And so I imagine the person gets up and, and says, all right, we're going to do the, the raffle now. And all the priests are ready. They got their raffle tickets and they're, they're ready because it's a huge honor to go into the most holy place. And, and the guy says, three. And all the priests says, yeah, four, yeah. You know how all the numbers are the same at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. seven, yeah, six, yeah, three, yeah. And then you get to the last one, two. And everybody goes, oh, and Zechariah says, it's mine. I won. I, I get to go into the temple to perform religious duties. And so maybe this is my last chance. I'm going to be in the most holy place. I'm going to be really close to God. Maybe I can give one more prayer request. Because I'm really close to God. And maybe God can answer my prayer this one last time. And so he goes into the temple. And as he is in the temple, an angel named Gabriel shows up and says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. You will have a son. And the news is so incredible, so shocking, so unbelievable that Zechariah looks at this angel after this revelation and message has been given and says, this is impossible. What happens when you pray for God to do something and then it seems as if God's going to do it and he goes, that's impossible. This is where Zechariah is. 
He's, he's, it's hard for him to believe this is going to happen. And it seems when you read the text that the angel is getting frustrated. You know you're in a bad place when you're frustrating angels. And, and the angel says, listen, man, I just gave you the message. And he's going, nah, I don't know if I could believe that. And, 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 and the angel says, you know what, it's going to happen, but because you didn't believe, you're not going to speak for the next nine months. And then Zechariah gets a case of uh, angelic laryngitis. And, and, and for the next nine months, he is unable to speak. He comes out of the temple to see his friends and family, and it seems as if he's seen a vision. He looks different. And, and, and people are saying he can't talk. He must have seen something. And so uh, he, he texts Elizabeth. This is what happened. And, and, and an angel encountered me, and, and we're going to have a son, and, and this is what we're going to name him. And when we see the story nine months later, she gives birth to John, and we see in this passage that nothing is impossible with God. That when God speaks, God calls things into existence. And it's a beautiful story in which they wait for a long time and God comes through. And I, I can't help but see a couple of important uh, reminders about Advent and reminders about waiting as we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in this season of Advent, which is a time of waiting, we, we are to check the way that we wait and see the lessons that we are to learn from these characters in the Bible. And there are two very important reminders that I want to offer to you in this Advent season. That as you are waiting for God to come through in your life, whether it's to restore relationship, whether it's for financial provision, whether it's for a new job, whether it's for healing in your body, whether it's for the saving of your marriage, as you are waiting on God, I want you to, to call to mind these two reminders. And the first reminder is this. That a faithful response to waiting is prayer. A faithful response to waiting is prayer. That's what we find in Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, it says, The angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Now, I love this verse. Luke gives insight into how Zechariah and Elizabeth handled their disappointment. And they persevered in prayer. The angel says, your petition has been heard. And Luke loves, in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, he loves to talk about people who have a life with God in prayer. And he does the same here. He highlights that they prayed to God even when things did not unfold as they expected to. They hold on to God. In the midst of their social disgrace, in the midst of their own humiliation, in the midst of their own disappointment, in the midst of their own hopelessness, they hold on to God in prayer. And I love that they hold on to God in prayer. It would have been uh, socially acceptable for Zechariah, after a decade or so, to, to divorce Elizabeth, to remarry or take multiple wives. Some rabbis taught that after 10 years of childlessness, a man was mandated to take a second wife. And if Zechariah would have done that, his religious culture and the surrounding people would have commended him. But instead of Zechariah doing that, he holds on to God in prayer. And I'm so moved by this couple. Because when things don't go their way, they hold on to God in prayer. When their answer, prayers don't get answered, they still hold on to God in prayer. 
When their world is turning upside down, they still hold on to God in prayer. And what we learn from them is that prayer is not just staying connected with God because of what God will give us. Prayer is about staying with God even when we don't get what we want. The challenge with our lives is our prayers are often transactional and not relational. We do it so that we can get something out of it as opposed to relating to God. I'm reminded of a, a conversation uh, I had with a friend that he was saying he was having a hard time finding uh, a parking spot, and he was just circling and circling. You've been there before, and he's circling, and he got to a point where he, he gave this prayer. You know this prayer, Lord, if you give me a parking spot, I will serve you the rest of my life. Oh, forget about it, God. I found one right here. Thank you very much. And he just, and he just parks right there. I'll serve you all my life. I found, I found one right there. Don't, don't, worry, don't worry about that prayer there. Our prayers are often transactional. I do this, you give me that. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're relational. They hold on to God. And as we're waiting, we, we wait for the God who comes. Their waiting is relational. But what I love about their story And about our lives is the second reminder in this Advent message. In that they wait, but their waiting is not perfect. They they wait faithfully, but they don't wait perfectly. And this is the second reminder that I want you to hold on to during this Advent season. Advent reminds us that we are often not faithful in our waiting, but God is faithful in his coming. Although we are not faithful in our waiting, God is faithful in his coming. One of the most important verses in all of the Bible is found in chapter 1, verse 20, where it says these words. The angel says to Zechariah, you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, This is a good verse. Oh, this verse is so good. Here's why. There's some verses in the Bible that that, that seem to say that when we lack faith, God does not perform on our behalf. There's a couple of occasions there where Jesus walks into a town and they did not have faith. And it says, the Bible says, he could not do any miracles there because they did not have faith. That's true, but at the same time, what counterbalances that is this truth that we see in Zechariah, where even though Zechariah lacks faith, God still performs the miracle. And I'm so grateful for that. Because I don't know about you, but more often than not, I lack faith. More often than not, I don't believe it's going to happen. More often than not, I have doubts, I have worries, I have concerns. And yet God sees my doubts, my worries, my concerns, and God has a way of coming through in the midst of my doubts, my worries, and concerns. Some of you might be super Christians, and you believe God all the time, every single day, and it's going to happen. But, but for, the, for the rest of us, I often don't believe it's going to happen. But here's the verse. You did not believe my words, which will come true. Hold that together. God is the God who, even though we don't wait faithfully, God is faithful to come. God is faithful to move. God is faithful to provide. 
God is faithful to come through on our behalf. And Advent is a reminder that even though our faith is not always together, God is faithful to come. We doubt, we get depressed, we get discouraged, we want to give up. We actually do give up. And yet God is still gracious to come. Amen. And it reminds us, Advent reminds us that that although our waiting is imperfect, God still promises to come. God doesn't come because we are good. God comes because God is good. God doesn't come because we are faithful. God comes because God is faithful. And we are reminded in this passage that God's faithful love is the love that comes. Amen. It's the love that comes. This is an encouraging word for all of us who Monday through Saturday, your life is filled with doubts and concerns and unbelief. And then you come to church on Sunday and and, and all of a sudden you have a faith surge. And then by noon at Monday, it's all out again. But even in our, if our waiting is not faithful, God is still faithful to come. That is the message of Advent. Now, here's the beautiful and frustrating part about their story. The beautiful part is that Zechariah and Elizabeth's story ends with God answering their prayer. It's beautiful because God comes through. But it's frustrating because all of our prayers are not answered in this same way. The mystery of life is that we experience great joy and we experience great suffering. Great answered prayer and then the frustration of unanswered prayer. How is it that some people get well and then some people die? How is it that some marriages are restored and others aren't? How is it that some get the promotion and others stay at that position for the rest of their lives? This is the complexity of Advent, the complexity of human suffering and the complexity of divine grace that we have to hold it all together. And Zechariah and Elizabeth for decades are holding on to this truth that God has not come on their behalf. They're suffering, and then God blesses them. This is the mixture of the spiritual life, and we have to hold on to this. But whether in this life or in the life to come, God will make all things new. And so we hold on with Zechariah, and we hold on with Elizabeth. And as they wait, God answers their prayer. I love it. After nine months, Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. And I want you to follow the story with me. It's a wonderful story. In verse 57, it says these words. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, I got the text. He is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name, John. Such a simple name. What about a multisyllabic name? Just Mel Kelzedek, Hezekiah, nothing, just John, just simple John, John, this message is for you, John, right here, John's second row, John. 
And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would name the child. And he asked for an iPad and a writing tablet. And, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth was opened. After nine months, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. John. What's the, what, what, why John? When you read the scriptures, we see that names have meaning. And the reason why he's given the name John is because the word John means God is gracious. God is gracious. God's love comes to us not because we are good, but because God is good. God's love comes to us not because we are faithful, but because God is faithful. God is gracious. And so because God is gracious, he says his name is John and his tongue is loosed. And Zechariah now begins to sing. And I wonder how long he sang. I wonder how loud he sang. If you've been quiet and mute for nine months at the first opportunity to speak, I guarantee you I'm singing loud. I guarantee you I'm singing long. I guarantee you I'm singing with pride because singing is the proper response to God's grace. See, you can't understand Zechariah's song until you know his story. But now you know his story, which now means you can appreciate his song. And this is what happens in our life. You can't understand someone's song until you understand their story. It reminds me, just not too long ago, I was, I was on the train, and it was a crowded subway, but it was very quiet. And, and, and out of nowhere, a woman began to sing. And as she was singing, she was singing a hymn of praise to God. And in that moment, it startled a lot of people. Some people looked over because they were a little distracted and disturbed. Some looked at her because her voice was beautiful. Others looked at her because she was annoying them and, 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 and just messing up their peace. But she kept on singing. And as I watched her sing, some were captivated. Others were annoyed. But I remembered something that a, a pastor friend of mine said long ago, that the only way you can understand someone's song is when you understand their story. And I didn't know her story, but it seemed to me as if God has been gracious to her because she could care less where she was. She was going to give him some praise even on the subway. And when you know someone's story, you can appreciate their song. This is why I came from a, a Pentecostal background in a small church, and I would see people sing all loud and, and dance in the aisles and roll on the floor. And, and you can look at those people and say, oh, they're acting up and they're being all emotional. But when you knew that person's story, the song made sense. When you knew the person's story, the shout made sense. When you know the person's story, uh, uh, the, the rolling on the floor made sense. Because when God has been good to you, you sing. Ah, uh, yes. And when God has been good to you, you clap your hands. And when God has been good to you, you shout for joy. When God has been good to you, you run around. When God has been good to you, you celebrate. And so let's do that. If God has been good to you, lift up your voice and give him some praise and say, thank you, Lord. I worship you. I magnify you. I give you praise. We magnify your name. If God has been good to you, you have no problem singing. 
No problem shouting. No problem lifting your hands. No problem clapping your hands. Because God is gracious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is gracious. If he's been good, just clap your hands if he's been good to you. If you've been forgiven, raise your voice. When you know someone's story, you understand their song. And so Zechariah sings, and the people are in awe. And when you know someone's story, it makes sense why their expression is that way. Which is why we should never judge people at church when they get all loud and stuff. And go, you're messing up my, my, my contemplation right now. What, what, what are you doing? I'm trying to be silent right now. Uh, you can be silent at home too. But when someone, when someone receives the grace of God, sometimes you can't help but sing. And Zechariah sings, if you were mute for nine months, you'd sing too. Long, loud, for everyone to hear. And that's what he did. He sings because even though he was not faithful in his waiting, God was faithful in his coming. And this is why we sing together as a church. Let's pray together. The beauty of Advent is that we are reminded that God is gracious. That even when we're impatient and irritable and taking matters into our own hands, God remains gracious. I wonder what you're waiting for, what you've been waiting on. And even in the midst of your imperfect waiting the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God comes anyway to a people who wait imperfectly God comes to a people who are struggling with doubt God comes and so the invitation is to hold on to him and however imperfectly we hold on to God Because the story of Christianity is not about our performance, but about God's performance. Not about our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. Not about our ability to keep promises. Nope, but it's about God's ability to keep his promise. And so we sing. Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to sing like Zechariah. Even as we wait. For some of us, we've been waiting for a long time. And yet, Lord, in our waiting, would you meet us? Would you transform us? Would you make us into new people? We sing to you now. We lift our voices. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing as loud as we can.
invite our prayer team to come to my left and by those who are offering the bread and the cup to come to my right. We often need other people to help us wait on the journey. What I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth is you see them surrounded by friends as they tell their story. And I imagine there were some who were faithful to them, to walk with them as they were waiting, to pray with them as they were waiting. And one of the ways and reasons we have prayer at the end of our service is because we often need someone to wait with us. So whatever you're waiting for, whatever you are struggling with, our prayer team will be here. And to my right, we have Stephen and Juan here to offer the bread and the cup. And we are reminded of how God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. He's faithful to come. And he comes. He's born. He lives three plus decades. Heals the sick. Raises the dead dies for our sins. See, we are reminded of the extent of God's faithfulness to us in Christ when we take bread and we dip it in a cup. I want to end with this here. There was, when the angel encounters Zechariah and he says, the Lord has heard your prayer. There are really two ways to see that. The first way is that Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer that you continue to offer before me. And that's a legitimate uh, interpretation of that text. But there's another, I think, equally in, uh, beautiful understanding of that text where Zechariah probably prayed decades ago. And maybe, just maybe, he hasn't been praying as earnestly for gave up and the, the angel says remember that prayer a long time ago that you gave up on it was stored in heaven God heard it God hears every prayer you pray and it just took a while for me to deliver this news but he heard it some of you have given up on some prayers you said that'll never and the grace of God is foolishness to the world because there's some times where God calls us to pray and keep praying and God comes through. And then there are times where we, we stop praying and God still comes through. It all begins and ends with God. He's Alpha and Omega. And so maybe you've given up on some things. Maybe you're continuing to hold on to God, but our prayer team is here. And in this Christmas season, we don't want you to wait alone. And so whether you come for prayer, whether you come for the bread and the cup, as the Lord leads you, feel free to come forward. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We are not always faithful in our waiting, but God is faithful in his coming. And I want you to walk out of this place with that truth deep in your soul. So with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that God is gracious. And as you wait on him, even imperfectly, know that God is the God who comes. 
He will rescue us from all of our sin. And there's a day He will rescue us from all of our suffering. And He will make all things new. And so we wait for that day with hope and expectation. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the gracious name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace to you all.